Welcome to the Front End Nerdery Podcast, a podcast about front end development and design. I'm your host, Todd Libby, and I'll be talking with people in tech about a number of different topics focused on front end development and design as well. Today I have with me Homer Gaines. Homer Homer is an interactive designer, front end developer, certified accessibility professional, yes, and musical producer and artist. The music you hear at the start and finish of each episode of this podcast is from my friend and wizard at Changing Shirts midway through conference talks, Homer Gaines. Homer, thank you for joining me today. (laughs) You are never going to let me live that down, are you? (laughs) No, that was awesome, though. (laughs) So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? You literally just did. Oh, no, kidding. (laughs) Uh, um, like you said, I front end developer uh, that focuses on accessibility. Um, my primary role for the past, I want to say five, six years has been um, working with companies to help set up design systems and integrate accessibility into those design systems, you know, to help out the teams with the applications that they're building. Uh, but yeah, I've been doing this. I've been doing this for like going on 25, 26 years now, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So been in this for a minute. It's, it's funny too, you know, been here long enough to see the um, good grief. Hold up. Let me turn off Slack. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Okay. That was hilarious. <laughs> All right, let's get back to it. So anyway, while I'm getting slacking. <laughs> see, I was set up correctly on the other machine. This one here, everything is just bubbling, buzzing up. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I've been doing this for a very long time. Back when it seemed like when we all started, we all had to be full stack developers, you know, because no one knew what was going on. You were designing it, building it setting up the emails, setting up the servers because nobody was doing that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, time went on and we all became specialists. And it seems like we're going back to the, everybody has to do everything in the kitchen sink mode again, which is strange, but yeah, that's me in a nutshell. And yeah, like you said, I write music. I've been doing that. Good grief, man. I started drumming when I, was able to pick up sticks, you know, 
my mom's side of the family is is very musical. Um, they've been in the industry for years. You know, grew up in Detroit. My parents did um, around Motown, so I was always around. You know, that creative energy, and it just has always stayed with me. And you know, I've I've been able to, I've been blessed enough to be able to uh, compose music for plays, uh, independent films, commercials, you know, and for myself. So, you know, it's been a fun ride and I'm still on it. So loving it. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of the music, by the way. Thanks. I appreciate it. I really appreciate you. And like, I was listening to the podcast and even though I remember you asking me, Hey, can I use one of your songs to lead into the podcast? I forgot about it. It's like when I, when I listened to the one that you did with Zeldman, the song started playing and my wife perked up. She was like, wait, is that, you? are you playing your song right now? I said, no, Todd has that at the beginning of the podcast. She said, nice. <laughs> I was like, so I appreciate that. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I, you're the first one I thought about. Cause I was like, I need some nice relaxing music to lead in and out of the podcast. So you you know you came to mind right away because you know when I when we started following each other on Twitter and I found out you did music I'm like okay I got to check this guy's music out and when I did I was like all right I'm all aboard this train because this is just one nice chill ride so helps me get through a work day too that you know what and it, it's funny enough um, that's what that's what I write the music for. You know, a friend of mine, he told me, he's like, you write for the listener. I said, yeah, because I don't do a whole lot of promotion or anything like that because I'm just releasing music because I want to release music. And, but when I check my stats, what I notice is that during the work week, my stats are high. So that means that people are actually streaming me while they're at work doing something. And, you know, back in school, um, when I was releasing my little mixtapes and handing them out around campus and things like that, uh, one of my friends back then, he was like, you write, do it to it music. And you know, it was like, wait, what? Where are you going with this? Do it to it music. <laughs> he was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> He's like, no, you write music that we can do anything to. It's like, we put on your tape and we can go drive to it. We can study to it. We can clean the house to it. We can chill to it, do whatever. It's, you just write really nice ambient background music that just kind of like breaks the monotony of the day but still helps you get in helps you get through it and I was like oh all right cool so I, I you know have been going under the moniker of uh, do it to a music and you know ever since ever since he said that ever since Bruce told me that that day so yeah I mean it's I'm, I'm glad that people listen to it like yourself you know to help get through the day because that's why I write it yeah yeah it's super so I, I like to touch on, you know, what people that I have on the podcast, what they do. So as an interactive designer, uh, mm -hmm. can you tell the listeners what you do as an interactive designer and what you enjoy most out of it? Yeah, well, interactive design kind of came, um, that's what I've referred to myself uh, ever since the flash days, mm -hmm. because, you know, we were designing I'm, granite every website is an interactive experience. But when we were doing 
you know, the multimedia type presentations that Flash allowed us to do back in the day. Um, it was a lot more than just design because you actually had to think through the UX and everything else about how you're actually going to create this animation that allows individuals to still do what they want to do, whether it was for um, an e-commerce site or whether it was for play. So designing the interactions is where interactive designer comes from, which in today's term is, yeah, I'm focused on UI, I'm focused on UX. And when I really started getting heavy into um, accessibility, obviously Flash wasn't accessible. So it was great for the beginning of my career, but towards the um, towards the era where Flash started to fade out, you know, it made sense to leave it alone, especially when I needed to start building things that were more accessible. And so from there, yeah, I took my design skills, my UX skills, and threw it back into the web, which is how I ended up where I am now. So with HTML, CSS, JavaScript, those three. Everything else is just cake. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. how has front end evolved from your perspective since those days? And, and what do you think has changed the most? It's evolved a lot. I mean, especially when you think about how we have all these different frameworks and libraries that didn't exist back then. Um, being able to build design systems to help you know, small and large teams quickly prototype something out. Uh, you know, I remember when, even with CSS, even if you just take CSS, I remember building websites before we even had CSS and doing complex table structures. And, you know, whether you were using Photoshop or what was it, Freehand that yep. Macromedia had and, and then um, Fireworks and you could sit there and cut out all the slices in those small table grids and everything and you know having like umpteen thousand gif images uploaded and you had to choose which one was going to be a png gif or a jpeg you know just <laughs> just based on the way that the image was rendering you know going from that to being able to draw a complete ui inside css is just amazing you know my day-to-day -day, i love css i'm always in there i'm always doing something sass is my friend and you know it's it's just wild when i think back to where we were doing we were doing so much to get these these smaller websites up and going to where now we can you can literally just put out something quality and you see, you see this trend on Twitter now, which is, which I find funny. You can put out something quality just using CSS and HTML. You don't even need to have JavaScript, depending on the level of interactivity that you want, right. you know. But even though we've had these these advancements with the libraries and components, um, pick your flavor. Whether it's you know you're writing it in stencil, whether you're writing it in React, or you know or angular or anything like that not, not a whole lot has changed in the form of html css and javascript in how we actually use them you know those foundations are just always going to be there and i say always with the limited knowledge of what the future is going to bring mm -hmm. 
you know, um, there are times where I sit here and I'll, I'll think it was like, what is what, what will, what will building a website look like, you know, 90 years from now, mm. will we still have HTML? I mean, granted HTML is currently the foundation. It is the markup. It is the structure It's the dom. That's what gets spit out. Will we come up with some way to make that evolve into some other scaffolding? Mm-hmm. Don't know. Don't know what that looks like. But right now, this is what we have. And what? HTML5? Yep. HTML5 is where we are. And I saw a post the other day where someone was asking for additional uh, HTML tags. And I was thinking to myself, well, damn, we have so many HTML tags right now. I mean, there's a ton of them that I don't even use, don't even need to use. So how many more do we need? And <laughs> I remember a guy on Twitter hit me up. He replied to one of my posts. Uh, it was a couple of weeks ago. He was like, as a front end developer, all you need is div. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. I was like, technically, yes. But uh, yeah, and we're not going to go that route. I like to write semantic markup. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Semantic you know, markup but, is always nice. Oh, man. Semantic markup is just lovely. It, mm-hmm. it, it affords you all of the nice accessibility features that otherwise you would have to remember to add to your custom component. Guarantee you're going to miss something. Yeah. Always do. Exactly. Always do. Well, yeah, so, I mean, so. the web is the web is evolved, mm-hmm. but I think how we use the web has evolved more. Yeah. yeah. That's what it is. So I'm going to softball this one into you. Uh-oh. <laughs> so you and I, as well as a lot of other great folks in this, you know, the accessibility space uh, on Twitter talk a lot about, you know, inclusiveness and accessibility and mm-hmm. all the stuff that comes with it. Mm-hmm. So here's the saw. Here, here's the pitch. How important would you say is the role of accessibility in not only development, but design as well? Oh, bro. What? That's crazy. Hella important. Yep. It's. <laughs> I told you, it, I told you it was a softball. <laughs> yeah. I can, Yeah. I saw the stitching on that one coming through. <laughs> what are you trying to do start a fight now? I'm kidding. Yo, uh... Well, if you look so, at my Twitter. Yeah. 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 You need to stop. You need, you need to behave yourself. I do. <laughs> no, don't. Keep doing you. Um, accessibility is everybody's job, man. It's mm-hmm. not just the devs. It's not just design. It's also, you know, the PMs, the copywriters, yep. leadership. Everybody needs to be aware of that. But pointing to your question, it really does. Dev and design need to be in lockstep when it comes to accessibility Mm -hmm. and reason being when we start developing something we start developing an idea that happened sometime in the past somebody had an idea came up with it decided to mock it up to see what it would look like see how would it actually work before it actually lands on the developer's desk for us to actually build it because before we can start building something we need those specs those specs you know, are oftentimes visual. 
going into that visual process, designers really do have to understand how the designs that they will, yeah, they have to understand what they are designing and how it actually affects the user. They need to think about that user journey when they are designing it before it even gets to the point to where we're writing a stitch of code. That user journey should be planned out. Um, how are our users with keyboards going to navigate through this? In the event that they are designing some new widget that doesn't have historical context on, you know, for users on how to use it, you know, anything. They really need to think about the user journey. Um, and they can't think of it in that binary sense where it's you either have, for instance, screen readers. Mm -hmm. You're either a sighted user or you're a blind user. Can't think about that. What about the users in between that have low vision? No. Yep. How you design form elements impacts them. Uh, how you group content together, the proximity of the content, related content, you know, that affects individuals with low vision. You, you've got screen magnification and, and browser zoom. You know, if you have two elements that are at extreme sides of the screen, you can lose that context because now, depending on how that individual is browsing the site, that content is now separate from one another. You know, things like that. Um, color contrast, easy, you know, definitely think about that. Don't sit up there and, and just because it looks cool or whatnot, put light gray text on a white background because you want this clean aesthetic. Mm. I get it. Minimalism is dope. I love minimalism, especially in websites, the cleaner, the better. But, you know, I like Sumie. Sumie just uses, you know, ink. Yep. Breaks it down to the bare minimum, but still conveys the message. Designers have to do that as well. Um, and then it comes, you know, even with copywriting, because as they're working through designs, if they're not using Lorem, you know, they're putting in some other mock copy. Mm -hmm. But as they do it, we as designers tend to get attached to the design that we've done. And therefore, when someone comes back and says, hey, you need to make this change, there's that resistance there. So the designers have to understand what that resistance is, why that resistance is there. Uh, to changing it and understand that they need to make changes for the better. It's not about the portfolio piece. It's about the end user itself. Um, case in point, you know, if you have links that aren't descriptive enough, like granted, you and I, you know, we have site, we can see a link that says click here. We, we can understand what that actually means. But for someone who may have a cognitive disability or whatnot, they come in and they see click here, they don't have the context of that. Mm. So providing more context in these call to actions, you know, is definitely key for helping out accessibility from that aspect. But all that comes from the design and the conversations that happen during the design process before they even make it to dev. And, you know, uh, we're starting to, in the industry, we're starting to talk about shift left, where, you know, you get it, get ahead of this as much as you can. Um, when I worked for an e-commerce company, a lot of times 
my team wasn't brought in until you know weeks before the project had to be built and we would constantly butt heads with marketing and creative and even leadership telling them we need to be involved in the process earlier because you guys are asking us to build something because you saw it someplace else mm -hmm. without intimate knowledge of how our system works so you're asking for x y and z when our system doesn't support that we have to build something for that same thing with design if you go off and set the expectation of how a design should look versus how it actually works then you got a problem and far too often that problem solving that problem falls on the dev team when it shouldn't it needs to start upstream it needs to start upstream where leadership is buying into it and the actual project itself is being sold so setting those expectations so yeah for designers like i said it's everybody's responsibility but at the in the embryonic stages of a project's idea accessibility definitely needs to be inside the fold yeah yeah i am a big uh supporter of from kickoff to handoff mm -hmm. accessibility is crucial so mm -hmm. that's i i hear you on that so and, I, and, and what what's the regular tweet that you like to put out accessibility is a right accessibility is a right not a privilege not a privilege exactly yeah um so i know you and i both talk to a lot of people that are curious and interested in getting into the accessibility space mm -hmm. what would you say to folks that you know, we haven't spoken to on Twitter or in other places that are looking to get into that space and start their journey in accessibility. The first step is always just to start doing it, start doing the research, uh, understanding how accessibility fits into what you're doing at that moment. Um, speaking to the developer who is starting to realize that the product that they're working on isn't accessible and they want to understand how. Do an inventory. Learn how to do those testings. Um, for individuals who are not comfortable using screen readers or any other assistive tech that's built into the machines, often I like to suggest that, all right, let's go to automate it route first. Mm. So I often recommend using Axe, you know, uh, the uh, Chrome plugin for doing some automated testing. Do an audit of one of your page views, see what happens. And when that comes back, research how to fix those. And then when you start researching how to fix those, you actually start learning about how accessibility plays into your product. And then, you know, the next question I get was, well, what if I receive pushback for, you know, wanting to integrate this? Then I ask them candidly, you really got somebody who's gonna push back on you for doing the right thing? Take it off of you and put it on them. Have them answer that question. When you ask somebody else, so you really don't want to do the right thing, they usually back off because no one wants to appear as a jerk mm -hmm. or come off as an asshole. You know, <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, I had one guy, he was just like, I really want to start implementing these things, but I don't know how. I said, start putting them in. Yep. He said, what do you mean, put them in? 
I said, when you're writing your code, if you come, if you are working on a particular view at that point in time, and you recognize that there are accessibility issues in there, fix those issues and merge those issues in. What's somebody going to do when it goes through code review? They're going to tell you, hey, this, this, you got to take this accessibility part out. Again, nobody wants to look like that jerk going in there. And you saw the light bulb go off over his head. He was like, oh yeah, I can just do that. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's all you need to do. Yeah. You start, the fact that you're showing interest and in wanting to build better products that are accessible shows that you are willing to take the steps. Yeah. So it's learn what those issues are, learn how to fix them. Often it starts at the markup level. You know, I tell people, what's your markup look like? Is it div soup? Are you using semantic markup? Are you adding on clicks to spans and divs? Yeah, why? Well, because, you know, I was just styling a div. I said, you know, you can style a button the same way and you get all the accessibility that you need from that button and it's semantic. Oh yeah. Again, I love it when the light bulbs go off. It's great. When you start to really show yep. individuals that start with the basics, mm -hmm. then it makes it easier for them to transition into, you know, building accessible things. So yeah, I start, I, that, that's me. I tell them, start here, start implementing it. Implementation means that you are actually working in and working to actually make things better start introducing it um and then after you've after you've worked it into like say for instance a couple of iterations of your project tell your team about it tell leadership about it be like look this is this is how our product or this particular view behaved before i made the accessibility enhancements and then walk them through the benefits of those enhancements and I've seen, you know, people in leadership actually start to get it. They, unfortunately, people have to see the results before they actually believe them. Yep. You know, so a lot of times it's, you know, you just got to do the work, show them the benefit. And then when they see the benefit, everybody's on board with it. Yeah. So, but yeah, anyone starting off new, do the research. There's plenty of resources out there. You have the WCAG that you can read through. Yes, that is that that is the de facto. Um, but there's tons of blogs out there, you know, chatting with people like you and I on Twitter is another way, you know, Chris DeMars, Marina, um, Lamardo, Scott Davis, Marcy Sutton, you know, hitting up the accessibility uh, community on Twitter is a good one. And then there's also the um, the Alley Slack channel. Yeah, we're all in there, always talking about everything. Um, even even the design system Slack channel has an accessibility site yeah. or accessibility channel in there. So you know, just get involved in the community, um, and you start to pick those things up. You start to gain that knowledge and gain that experience, and gain that confidence to move forward to incorporate accessibility into you know, your day to day and whatever it is that you're working on. Right. And so you, you triggered a memory. Oh. <laughs> uh, Wait, you, you have memories. I, well, they're fading fast <laughs> at, at this, 
at, at this advancement in age, but yes, <laughs> few and far between now. But I worked for a company, and I think we've talked about this before, maybe. Uh, I went to a stakeholder and I said, okay, um, I would like, you know, to put time into our projects for accessibility. Mm -hmm. And he shot back with, we don't have disabled users. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> <laughs> it does happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it does. It, it does. does. I'm not saying it doesn't. I've had to deal with that before, but that's where it goes. That's where it falls back to showing them, proving to them. You know, one of my coworkers the other day, um, he was so happy because we actually had a customer right in who had who has low vision and she uses browser zoom and everything and there was a particular section of the app that she had a problem with mm -hmm. and he was so happy that you know that she contacted him and he interviewed her and everything and we were able to work out a fix because it was it was a part of the app that we weren't actually looking at it at that point. It, we didn't have it slated to do any work, but when this surfaced, even leadership was like, oh, we didn't realize that this was a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, um, those, those real world interactions like that often shine a whole light, a whole lot of light on the situation and then make them understand it's like, oh yeah, maybe we do need to deal with this. But yeah, man, I've had, I've had leadership. I've had designers talking about we don't have dis disabled users using our website. I'm like, really? Are you, are you that naive? You're kidding me. <laughs> yeah, and uh, this this uh, this certain stakeholder. Um, <laughs> oh. it, it, it was funny too because he was wearing glasses, and I said, "You do know you're you have an ex an assistive technology." on your face yes <laughs> so it was so what happens if you take your glasses off read the, read this for me when you take your glasses off well, i can't see that make the font bigger oh right. mm -hmm. <laughs> that and uh uh you know you and i had to explain situational uh oh. temporary impairments yeah. disabilities and, and you know, you know, mm -hmm. you know, you got a child in the arm and you have something, you have your phone on the other hand and you're trying to, you know, engage oh. in a meeting, for instance. <laughs> or, you know. Yes, I, situational. What, you've seen me with, with my son, you know. Yes. Having a, I got him here and I'm sitting, yeah. And my wife just cracks up. She was like, I'm glad that thing's accessible because if it wasn't, you would have problems right now. I'm like, you were right about that. And or, I got, yeah. Or mess with, just jam your, jam your clicking finger. Yeah. Jam your index finger. That's another story too, because so. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. what did you do? You injure yourself. I did. I, uh. I was working on something and I said, okay, time to take a break. It was lunchtime or something like that. So mm -hmm. I'll go, I'll drive down to the store, you know, I'll grab a bite to eat and come back and, you know, finish working. So I got mm -hmm. in the car 
and I'm driving down. It's a very sunny day, and I go to take the sun visor and pull it down. Well, I missed as I was pulling it, and I socked myself in the eye. And I had to literally tell this stakeholder that things like that happen. Now, granted, it's at my own self-deprecation, but it happened. I'm glad to be, you know, patient zero. <laughs> but it did happen. Yep. Yep. Exactly. I mean, I've, I've injured myself before and, you know, just getting around and you're like, thank God for the curb cuts. Thank God for the, the ramps and, and, and things like that. But, you know, as it pertains to the web, yeah, not everybody uses the web, computers, mice, keyboards. We don't use technology the same way. Hmm. We just don't, right. you know, and it's, it's really bad. Well, it's not bad. It's unfortunate that the norm has been the norm has been to build and design with that with that bias mm. you know, that developers or designers or whomever they use themselves as the template mm. for everything that goes out because they are building it for themselves instead of looking outside at the real world and at the various possibilities of how someone can actually use things. Um, you know, you've seen that meme before where it says um, design, user experience, and you see the design and it's a nice man, it's a nice um, manicure pathway that's going through and it connects 90 degree angles, user experience, the person just wore a path through the grass, yep. shortcuts, you know, <laughs> a lot of times people don't think that way. Right. And, and it's really true. I mean, th there are. There are, there's just a range of use cases out there that fall on that bell curve. And we, we have to remember to design for those outer edges. Mm -hmm. If you catch those outer edges, you're definitely going to catch that center of the bell curve, you know? Um, and like you said, situational, are you being blinded right now? Yep. All right. How do you fix that? Use your visor. Um, there was just one. Don't punch yourself in the eye. Yeah, don't punch yourself in the face either. I mean, don't <laughs> add to the problem. Good grief! Uh, <laughs> you know, one one day my uh, my wife was was uh, was driving. This is Atlanta, pre pandemic. Atlanta traffic is wild, mm -hmm. and you know we had a Subaru with the uh, with the stop assist, yep. the brake assist. Yep. You know, I look at that as assistive tech because brake assist kicks in when the driver doesn't react fast enough, which means that if you're not reacting fast enough, you were distracted. Mm. A distraction is cognitive. Yep. And she was in the car one day, uh, headed up to work, I believe. And you know, something caught her attention over here. Like, a, I think a driver swerved. She looked over here to make sure that this driver wasn't going to hit her, not knowing that the person in front had just slammed on their brakes. 
driver assist caught everything boom you know that's real world example of how tech can help with some type of impairment yep. think about when we apply that to the web error handling inside forms mm -hmm. being able to fill out a form what type of affordances do we allow for filling out forms on online mm. you know is the person coming in on a touch device are they using a keyboard um, how is it that they're actually able to interact input move through each of the fields do we do the autocomplete for them which helps in some cases to be a problem in others do we do uh, auto masking for them so that it automatically formats the data mm. that goes through you have someone, you don't want to design a complex form that is going to require, you know, a, a ton of interaction to be able to get the information through because you have no idea if that person has two hands, one hand, no hands, what they're doing to actually get it through. Um, thinking about ease of use and reducing friction will definitely help, you know, make the products that we are building a lot more user-friendly and and robust because now they can be you know you can apply you can apply them to various situations for various individuals that have you know any method of manipulating or interacting with it so mm -hmm. yeah they have situational permanent temporary you know all those things have to be taken into account. But again, it goes back to that, to understanding the user's journey. Yep. How do you set that journey up? How do you go from point A to point B successfully without tripping up the individual? Doing those empathy tests where you have your team go through it, or you have a team that's not familiar with what it is that you're building, go through it and finding those sticky points, do that user testing, you know, do those evaluations. That's how you catch all of that. And it's great, especially if you have individuals with various disabilities on your team or working at the company. You know, I had, you know, it was great. Um, last company that I worked with, we actually did. And, you know, they were valuable teammates because they gave us some insight to some of the product or to some of the friction points inside our product that we didn't even know existed. Mm -hmm. Even though we were doing manual testing and things like that, they were like, ah, oh, yeah, no, I have a problem with this. Word, really? Cool. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for pointing that out. You know, being, uh, you know, and also just being open to even needing to fix it was great. Yeah. yeah. I had received a great piece of advice a couple of years ago, I think it was, uh, from Derek Featherstone. And, mm -hmm. you know, we were talking about, uh, my, my situation with the, with the stakeholder given mm -hmm. a little pushback. And he told me, and I like to tell people this too, and pass this little tidbit along is when they push back, push back a little harder. Mm -hmm. And like, like you had alluded to, you know, earlier, you know, make them realize it, you ask them the questions mm -hmm. that they're asking of you. Uh, and a lot of the time it works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If not, if not all granted, 
my situation was a lot different because they kept waffling back and forth. Um, an extreme circumstance, I'll call it. But there, there's a lot of, you know, <laughs> with, with my case, there was a lot of unknowns. Uh, mm -hmm. one, be, one being uh, lack of knowledge as far as um, where and te technical goes. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, you, unfortunately, there's a lot of that, mm -hmm. you know, um, let alone having limited knowledge in how the tech actually comes together and works. But then when you throw accessibility into that, if you didn't understand the basics, ain't no way in the world you catching this over here. Right. And, you know, it's just like these big corporations that are out there, especially like the high profile ones, you know, last year and, and the year before where they were like, oh my gosh, we got caught. Our sites aren't accessible and it's going to cost us, you know, umpteen million dollars to, to build the accessibility into it. And you're like, why? Mm. Why? Mm. Who told you that? Well, we got to do X, Y, and Z. Okay, do it. Yeah. Yeah. Just get it done. Literally, when you upgrade something, retrofit it. Because obviously you're in a retrofitting phase of things now. Get your developers to build it correctly. Yep. Is that a span? Yes. Is it clickable? Yes. Tan it to a button. Does it go someplace? Yes. Make it a link. Yep. yep. It's that knowledge that they don't have. Yeah. So we're coming up on our time almost, are we? Yes. Are we? That was quick. A little bit. A little bit. So I'm going to swing this over to <clears throat> the music side of things. Oh, goodness. <laughs> uh, when's the new album dropping is my first one. Um, it is in the works, honestly. Uh, started working on uh, some new music uh, during the Christmas, uh, during Christmas break over the holidays. Um, felt inspired, started putting some new stuff down. It's going to be another lo-fi chilled out album just like before um also got a few more i guess some more soundtrack stuff that's coming up nice. so been working on that been talking with a an old friend of mine who i used to write music with back in college uh, he and i are still really good friends and he is still heavily active in the music industry and um he recently approached me and he was like, look, I have some, some ideas to actually start uh, doing more film composing and things like that. You want to join up. So talking with him about that, more information on that as it develops, you know, I'll let you know. But yeah, I got a couple of things. I got a couple of irons in the fire right now that I'm, that I'm working on. But this, this new project, I'm actually having fun with it. And my little one, when he comes in, it's like he uh, he likes to sit on my lap as I'm either you know producing the tracks and whatnot. And then he wants to reach over and his little you know one year old fingers start beating on the keys and things. It's great, <laughs> but I love having him in here with me because he just bounces off beat right now. Come on, boy! I hope you get some rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> he comes in and he starts bouncing around and enjoying the music. And I, I love the look on his face when he hits a key or he hits something on the drum pad and he hears the sound and he looks back at me like, did you hear that? Like for my approval is awesome. I'm like, yep, keep there going, go. keep yes. going. I'm just looking forward to the day where, you know, I come in here and I hear some music playing and it's him putting something together. You know, I'll I'll, I'll look forward to that day too when I'm in my rocking chair snacking <laughs> on a lobster roll. <laughs> Man, who knows? By the time, who knows how we're going to be listening to music then? It might just be a direct download, just straight to your brain. Just call us Neo. But yeah. so yeah, I got a couple couple of projects coming. I'll let nice. you know when they uh, when they drop. Um, I have not decided if it's going to be a full album yet or an EP, mainly okay. because. You know, in the industry, um, in the music industry now, when you think about it, we really consume music in a different way. We, we don't listen to music like we did, like in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. You know, um, people listen to songs. People don't listen to albums. Yep. You know, so a lot of times it's not even, it's not even worth putting out like a full album just put out some singles, put out EP with, you know, four or five tracks on it and then keep it moving. Also helps to keep things fresh too, you know, because a lot of times when you're putting an album together, there's the pressure of making sure that you have, you know, seven plus songs on there. Well, what if you have writer's block mm -hmm. and you have a project that you want to get out and you get stuck writing it and then you fall out of love with it and then the project starts to suffer yeah. as opposed to, Hey, I'm really in the mood right now. I have these, you know, these four tracks that I've put together, these four records that I've put together. Let me go ahead and release them and, you know, get them out there. That's where I am now. If, if I start to get bored with a project, I'll just stop writing. I'll go back to the pieces that are already finished mix them, master them, make sure that they are production ready and, and go. And then revisit the other ones, chop them up, use them as samples in something new, you know, find a different route of inspiration for them. So, yeah, I got some new stuff though. Well, that's good to know because I need some more chill music to snack on my lobster rolls too. Gotcha. <laughs> well, I got a couple of, I like the two that I have right now. One is called um, Warm Water. And the other one is, oh, yeah. And when when either one of those tracks come on, my little one immediately starts dancing. He loves those. Nice, nice. Warm water puts him to sleep, which is, it's a nice, chill, relaxing, dusty. When you listen to it, it will, it has a nostalgic feel to it. Um, when you hear it, it will remind you of listening to like say Art of Noise on mm. an old demagnetized cassette. Yep. You know, that's the feel it's gonna, you'll hear that hum. And granted now it's artificial, you know, as we yeah. add the special effects in to make it sound like it's coming off of a tape player, you know, you have the machine noise and things like that, but yeah. Yeah, stuff like that yeah. is coming. So I got you. That's awesome. So let me ask you this. What kind of music do you like and what do you listen to when you're working or do you listen to music while you're working? 
Actually, I do. Um, and my taste in music is all over the place, dude. I mean, I have everything from from death metal to classical to hip hop to country. You know, um, one genre that I'm really stuck on right now is Japanese math rock. You know, yes. Like, you know, Jucho coming out of Japan and Elephant Gym. Yo, listening to those arrangements, the mathematical complication, just the complexity, mathematical complexity of how they arrange their music is just astounding to me. I love the way that they play. I love the 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 syncopation of the rhythms, the the mix matched time signatures that go in, but they all gel just so nice. Mm -hmm. You know, very group of just a serious group of talented people. Um, but yeah, it's it really depends on on my mood for that day. Like when I produce tracks, I produce tracks at the tempo of my heartbeat. So if I'm having a chill day, obviously that's a down tempo. You know, if I'm if I'm having a hype day where everything has been moving fast, then yeah, then you know the music is up there. Same with what I listen to. Um, you know, I'll put I can go from you know listening to death metal, you know, kill switch engage to listening to you know the planets or a classical piece. You know, sometimes I I really like I'll I'll throw in you know soundtracks listening to soundtracks, listening to anything. And then I'll go, <laughs> I even have a playlist, playlist of white noise. Yeah. You know? Yep. So I, yeah, uh, yeah, it goes everywhere. Yeah. I have a playlist of uh, indigenous music. I have mm. a playlist of mm -hmm. uh, nature sounds, which puts me right out. Uh, mm -hmm. And you know, whenever I'm on Twitter, I'm usually listening to death metal. <laughs> it's about, that's how fast my heartbeat's going. <laughs> All, right. All right. So I got to put together a Twitter playlist for you. Because I need to calm you down. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> you can be raging. <laughs> yeah. If anybody see my timeline, oh, they, they probably. Yeah, that what? explains a lot, bro. Yeah, exactly. Lot. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that explains uh, but, a lot, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I know. I'll be like, Todd, what are you listening to? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm listening to Slayer today. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going to need you to put on Elmo. <laughs> there have been days I've been tempted to do that. Um, but no, the, the, the wide variety, I love it because that's the same with me. Now, I, I don't do country. I just never really got into it. Um, really? Yeah, I just... I don't. I, I get it. I get it. I know a lot of people that do not do yeah. country. For me, it's good music is good music regardless of mm. the genre. Yeah, I, I mean, I shouldn't say that I'm not into it totally. I mean, Johnny Cash is country, mm -hmm. and I love Johnny Cash. I yeah. mean, yeah, who doesn't? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody, but. <laughs> probably That's it's it's johnny cash it's it's very limited i should say but 
you know, the classical stuff, the, um, I mean, I, I do, you know, a lot of the eighties, uh, you know, now that I oh, look yeah. back in the eighties stuff, you know, that's stuff we grew up on. Oh yeah. And now that I look and say, Oh my God, that was 40 years ago. I, bo- I go into a little ball and I start weeping a little bit <laughs> and then I have to turn on some ambient stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Man, road trip music, mm-hmm. the 80s genre is great for road trips. And I miss road trips. Our, my family, we like to travel a lot. We, we would jump in the car and we would go out or, you know, if you're not on a plane. Mm-hmm. But one of our favorite tracks to drive to is uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Tears for Fears. Yep. It's just when that song kicks in and it just marries the road, you know? But yeah, you're right. 80s? Oh, gosh. Is some great music that came yeah. out of the 80s. The UK was definitely owning it then. But then you had you had the, the 80s rock coming out, but then you had the US R&B mm-hmm. in the 80s. That was killing it. And then you jump up into the 90s, and then 90s R&B and 90s hip-hop was just kind of like, that was it. They took over. Yeah, that was on a separate plane in itself. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And then we got to 2000, and I don't know what the hell happened. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either, but we won't I go there. Oh, we yeah, we're go. not going to go there. I don't know <laughs> what the hell happened. Here's something. A lot of people that I talk to when I talk music with them, they're very, I guess, surprised to hear this. You know, I love jazz. I love that doesn't it. surprise me, though. I mean, why would they be surprised by that? Put it, the reason it doesn't surprise me is because you listen to my music, and my music has a, a strong jazz influence. It does. It so does. Like... When I say, yeah, I listen to Miles Davis or uh, Thelonious Monk, they're like, whoa, so... Pasty Man listens to that? <laughs> <laughs> so, like I, like I told you before, you know, growing up with a family that was around you know, Motown and all that. I started listening to jazz at a very, very, very young age, Mm. you know, and one of like the alias that my friends gave me growing up, because you you mentioned Monk, they called me Monk. Now, I'm not saying that I play like Sphere at all. No, but I was... I was that one that they knew that played jazz piano. And so that's how they made the association. So again, to this day, people still refer to me as monk, especially even people that are still in the industry. I can um, see that. That's just a respect thing. You know, I had a friend of mine in high school. Uh, his name is Kevin Anchor, professional jazz pianist. Dude was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he and I used to just have jam sessions on the piano. And one day he told me, he said, you know who you play like? And I was like, who? He said, you play like Ramsey Lewis. I was like, word? Really? And, you know, I started thinking about it. I was like, I listened to Ramsey, but I haven't listened to Ramsey since I was a kid. He was, his music was good, but it wasn't. His CD and his records were not the ones that I would always go to. And then one day I was, I was talking with my mom and I told her what Kevin said. And I said, that's funny. And she said, that's funny. I said, why? She goes, because um, when I was pregnant with you, I used to p- 
put headphones on my belly and play Miles Davis and Ramsey Lewis albums. Mm. I was like, oh, like interesting. Mm. Okay, all right. I get it. So there was there was <laughs> some influence there. And you, you brought up Miles Davis and my mom told me um one day while they were all out, um she said they actually had a chance to meet Miles Davis. I was like, wow. that's cool. She goes, yeah. yeah, but what you don't know is that you were two years old at the time and he actually held you. Oh wow. I said, what? I said, I can't help my Miles Davis. <laughs> I was wow. walking around like, yeah. There you go. <laughs> I, came in, I came in direct contact with greatness. That's what's Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know we're coming up on time uh, because you've got a hard stop and yeah. I don't want to. I got a few questions left. These ones are pretty, pretty straightforward and easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'd like to wrap up the podcast with these questions. So, okay. uh, what about the web these days excites you and keeps you excited in what you do? CSS. Okay. CSS for real. Yeah. Um, what we're able to do now with CSS versus, you know, how it's come. Uh, I love it. You know, remember when we had to do interactions using JavaScript, mm. states, things like that. I love being able to use CSS in place of JS to make something happen. Yep. Uh, just the level of flexibility that we have from a creative standpoint, being able to draw with it, you know, it's freaking amazing. You see these amazing code pens come out from individuals that are just, just pushing css just to the edge absolutely love it absolutely love it so yeah css is is absolutely if there were one thing you could change about the web today what would that be tech bros (laughs) (laughs) absolutely and if anybody's seen my timeline (laughs) tech bros man you know no, but all, in all honesty, what I would love to see change is, and, and I guess it's, it's already going there, but I would love to see, you know, more and more um, people embrace accessibility because like you and I, we grew up in at the end of the space race, but we had technology. You know, we had the Ataris, we had Nintendo and everything. And then all of a sudden we got Apple computers. And, you know, when we're in school, we've got apples all over the place. And then all of a sudden we have the internet. We grew up with this. We are tech savvy going forward. It's not like all this is brand new to us. Mm -hmm. And as we get older, we're still going to expect things to work as they should. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, as we get older, it's almost inevitable that at some point in time, we're going to have some form of disability, eyesight, hearing, motor, you know, I want to see more and more developers change their way of thinking and start incorporating accessibility and getting serious about accessibility and the products that they build, because we as tech savvy individuals will never stop being tech savvy. It's not like we just reach an age and then just forget all about it. No, it doesn't work like that. We're still going to, I'm pretty sure that 
you and people like you and I, individuals, all of us, we're still going to be using computers all the way up until we can't anymore. Yep. You know, mobile phones. Come on. Yep. Just about everybody and their mom has a mobile phone. Those are, they're not going anywhere. We're not leaving tech behind. Mm. So we need more. We need more teams to actually step up. We need more creatives. We need we need more PMs and executives and developers to actually start stepping up and making sure that they are building accessible products because you know everybody gets old everybody has some some need yep. and technology just is always going to be there with us so yeah i like to see that yep. so we've spoken a lot about this today but i'm going to ask this anyways favorite part of front-end development that you love the most and i know what you're going to say and we've already, like I said, we've already said it, but what do you like to, this goes along the, with the theme of the, with the podcast is nerd out over. Yeah, I, I nerd out over accessibility. Um, I nerd out over semantic markup. You know, I, it, it's funny. I had an interview uh, a few years ago and me and the individual that was interviewing me literally nerded out about CSS to the point to where the third person that was in the interview was like, are you guys really done? Are you guys Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys just all of a sudden became best friends and just geeked the hell out about CSS. And I was like, yep, yep, sure did. But yeah, that that's, I nerd out hard on semantic markup and accessibility and CSS for real. So as we get to time, we got a few minutes left. I'm going to uh, do what I'm, you know, let everybody do uh, on the podcast. And that is let my guest, this being you today, uh, let the listeners know what you have currently going on where people can find you. Ah, currently going on. Well, you know, we already spoke about it, working on new um, new music project. I'm looking forward to releasing that probably early summer. Okay. So that'll be coming out. Uh, and when I say early summer, I'm, I'm talking like late May, early June is when that's probably going to hit. Mm-hmm. Um, then also too, you know, I'm looking for, I've been wanting to do this for a while and I want to build a platform agnostic um, component library that's focused on accessibility. And, you know, I've had people come up and they're like, why are you going to do that? So many people have already done it. And if I listen to that type of rhetoric, then it would stop me. But when you think about it, there are, that's the case. Why do we have React? Why do we have all the various frameworks that are out there now? is because the current ones that are out there didn't solve the need that that individual needed. Mm-hmm. And from what I've been seeing, a lot of times where the things that target accessibility fall short is in the documentation. Yep. Um, but then also in the, the practicality of it. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they're built for a specific use case instead of thinking about the project or thinking about the use holistically, you know, who can use it? I don't, that's why I say platform agnostic, 
I don't care who uses this. I want them to be able to use it. And it's going to start from, you know, a semantic level and work from the ground up. So yeah, regardless of the naysayers that say, oh, you shouldn't do one, you should just start contributing to one that exists. No. So yeah. I'm, that's, another, that's the next thing I have coming down. Uh, yeah, and it's going to be called Allison. Okay. Looking forward to that. Yep. So that's already in play. Um, it'll be open source. It'll be on GitHub. Okay. So hopefully I have that in play uh, towards the end of the year. Yeah. And you're on Spotify, I know, and you're yes. on Tidal yep. and, and yep. all the, the music yeah. players. Yep. yep. All, all underneath my name, Homer Games. Yep. Um, yeah. All the major um, streaming services globally. Mm-hmm. worldwide you know i was really excited when i got notification that my music was actually being played on uh on internet radio over in africa and in japan i was like oh cool good deal nice so nice. yeah i just got recently added over there so that's that's a good thing so yeah all global you can find me on twitter Circlebox x-i-r-c-l-e-b-o-x that's me um yeah primarily there running my mouth about tech <laughs> chiming in with you starting fires <laughs> yeah, going after tech bros we won't go after that we, we won't go any further on my twitter experience today. <laughs> you have a very colorful twitter experience i do and i uh, yeah that's uh, i won't even go <laughs> i'm not gonna go into that right now uh <laughs> <laughs> so you got your music, you have all this stuff going on, it, you know, anything else, your personal site, we can, uh, you know, we can put a oh bunch gosh. of links in, in the show, show notes, but yeah, you, you've heard that you've heard the saying the cobbler's kids need new shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that apply that to my website. I'm pretty sure anybody <laughs> could say that. It's like, put it this way. The last time I updated my website. I use bootstrap because I just wanted to get it up quickly. And granted, when you look at it, it doesn't look like bootstrap, but I had one guy go, oh yeah, I can see you're using a WordPress theme. I'm like, no, that's actually homegrown. He's like, no, it's not. I said, look at the source code. He goes, oh, you did write this by AI. It's not WordPress. But when I look at it, I'm like, I don't need all this bloat. So yeah. I'm going to be rebuilding my website and paring it down. It'll be just nice and simple. Yeah. HTML, CSS, and some JavaScript if I want to add it. Yeah. And I, I knew it was Bootstrap when I visited your website. Because <laughs> I do. Everybody does. You saw the columns in there, didn't you? Yes, I did. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, I did. Yep. Uh, I'm like, oh, I got it. Yeah. So, yeah. again, what I what I put that up maybe good grief man that thing's probably seven years old now mm. you know that was back when when bootstrap was was shiny yep that with jquery everybody was doing bootstrap and jquery at that time jquery still works yeah it does it does so let's i know we got to wrap it up i yeah. want to thank you homer for for coming on today and and talking with me it's always a pleasure thanks for the invite i appreciate it absolutely this was good yeah and uh lobster rolls are in the mail 
All right, dude, for real. Um, <laughs> when the pandemic is over, I'm Hey, El Todd, open up. <laughs> I'm coming up to Maine. We're gonna do some. We're gonna do some lobster rolls. We're gonna go drive up and down the coast with 80, 80s music blaring in the on the on the radio. I'm okay with that. Just <laughs> just know that when that happens, if the right song comes on, we will probably have to get over so my wife can get out and dance. I can dance well. <laughs> I, I won't use the word dance, but I will I will get out and move as best as I can to the music. How's that? I will move to the music. All right. We'll take that. We'll take that. We'll definitely take that. All right. But, uh, and I, I, go ahead. I was just gonna say I appreciate the invite. I appreciate having me on. I love the podcast that you're doing. It's it's dope. You know, the Zeldman interview that you did was great because yeah, that brought that was nostalgic for me because I remember reading his book back in the day, and it's it's hilarious because dude has not changed his avatar since day one. Nope, nope. Yeah, I mean it's that iconic that iconic blue hat, <laughs> and hearing hearing the bit about how the designers went through and came up with the cover, how it was all pixelated and it was jacked up and they tried to make it clean and made him look all great. That was funny. That had me dying. So. <laughs> well, I appreciate the kind words. Thank you. I, uh, you know, I, I took the leap and I said, you know what, I'm going to do a podcast. I've been wanting to do a podcast for years. There so, you go. uh, and I found it fitting because he's been a big influence on, uh, my career as well as probably yours and everybody else, mm -hmm. you know, everybody else's we know yeah. that does front end too. So, you know, um, you know who I miss in the game. Remember Hillman Curtis? Yes. Yes. Jeffrey and I spoke about him uh, yeah. briefly. Yeah. 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 I miss, I, I think about the work that Hillman Curtis did per, um, as a person and then also as a company. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, because they were a big influence on me yep. back then. Them, Too Advanced, Gabble Corp, all those. Yeah, but but Hillman Curtis, yeah. he, they they put out some really nice, really nice work. Yep, yep, totally so. agree. Yep. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Oh, always a pleasure to talk to you. Pleasure to see you. We're definitely when the pandemic's over. It's going to be lobster rolls and 80s music and, and dancing. Well, you know, I'll try <laughs> anyways. Uh, so we'll wrap it up here. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the Front End Nerdery podcast. I'll be back next month with a new guest, new topics, and conversation about front end design, development, and more. If you would please rate this podcast on your podcast device of choice. I'm Todd Libby, and this has been the Front End Nerdery podcast. Thanks, and see you next time. Thank mm -hmm. you.